welcome to The Planets Are My Gods. We are your hosts, Mariah Karina, and I'm here with Arikai Moon. And I'm really excited this week to talk to you about the fifth house, specifically. The fifth house is the house of Leo and of the sun. But throughout, I think, both of our personal journeys and also our journeys working with clients and just talking to people all over this earth, we've noticed that there are a few dynamics that seem to particularly constellate and come up as a core part of people's process when they have strong fifth house placements. And so we're sort of here, we're opening it up really just for us to share some of the things that we've noticed and bring in some of our usual bold and psychedelic understandings about what part of our psyche and our consciousness might be existing and living and going through its process in the fifth house. If you feel like getting out your chart and following along um, and seeing how this might relate to you, I think anything that you have in the fifth house would be worth looking at. So whether that's Mars, Venus, Sun, Moon, all of that would indicate that it's bringing that gravitational force to fifth house process. However, I think some very strong things that we've noticed patterns around would be whether you have Pluto in the fifth house, which I have, or Saturn in the fifth house, which Arika, I think you've worked with multiple clients who have Saturn in the fifth house. Many clients and many lovers, deep, deep initiations with people with Saturn in the fifth house or like you said, Pluto in the fifth house. I think which the, is me. Yeah, which is you. And we study you all the time. <laughs> to my and, great pleasure. And so I'm super excited to actually be able to hear your experience with this, like with having it um, something so personal. And so I think when it's what's interesting about you being able to be here with your own, the deepest desire of your soul in the fifth house, being able to give that reflection to us. And then also with me just having had really deep initiations with my partners and, um, clients, but, but very intimately with partners. And I think that, um, the, the way that the fifth house is actually influencing the field is, is something very like valuable. And I think so curious before we go there, two things. The first is obviously if you're attracting lots of partners that have, Saturn in the fifth house, it means it's part of your process too. Right. right? So it's also like whatever is strong for us is there. And then also whatever it is that we're attracting in our field, it's like part of the responsiveness of the universe showing us these other elements of our process in the vessels of these other people or dream figures or plants or animals or whatever. But the second thing is, before we go to how the fifth house influences the field, because all of the houses are present in every moment, all the houses are present in the holistic field of consciousness. But the fifth house traditionally, I would say, is about creativity, about children, about expression and pleasure. I think it rules all of those kind of fun Leo things about celebration and holidays and shining and seeing and being seen and feeling special and being able to celebrate the specialness of other ones. Hmm. I'm just naming general fifth house stuff. I don't know if you have some, some things you want to do just for general context before we get super specific. Yeah. I feel like the fifth house is all about pleasure, you know, all about pleasure and expression and, 
you know, I, I oftentimes think of that little kid that's like, Oh, I want that. Like naturally just letting this like eruption from the heart come out and it's like unabashed and joyful and the, the wound or the, the suppression of that is like the shaming or the, the suppression around, no, not like that, or that's too much, or it's not good enough, or you're, you're greedy for wanting it or, or something like that comes in. Um, to shut down that like joyful expression, to shut down um, what the heart naturally wants and is feeling. And it is that sun. It is that heart. To me, so much of Leo process and fifth house is really being able to connect from the inside out, like to really allow that little bubble or that little like effervescence to come forward and come through all the layers of your channel, of your body, of your being and to express And in that way, it's a foil for Aquarius, which to me can sometimes seem a little from the outside going in, Mm -hmm. right? A little from that higher vantage point of the stars, analyzing and kind of coming more from this bigger perspective on the periphery to really land in the individual intelligence and consciousness is the opposite of that Leo-like sun at the very center radiating out. Totally. I oftentimes think of the Leo Aquarius axes as the Shiva Shakti axes, you know, whereas the Shakti is the Leo that's naturally expressing and just, you know, taking the energy. I also think of Leo as such a tantric sign, which I don't hear a lot of people refer to Leo as this tantric sign, but I feel like it's the artistic mystic tantric sign Mm -hmm. and that might have a lot to do with my Leo being in the 12th house. Right. Um, but this connection between our muses and, you know, our, our own innate essence, like trusting that that and blooming into that is the actual sun, the actual like gift that everyone, like the audience, the, the, the receivers will be nourished by, you know, and then having that Leo being the Shiva, that's like, a little bit like that bird's eye view on the outskirts, knowing what questions to ask, knowing how to hold the container, how to observe and then see like the inner Leos and see everyone like for who they are and like what piece of the puzzle, like what piece of the the collective that they hold and then how to actually um, affect change inside of those pieces so that each Leo gets to shine and bloom and like offer their medicine or their codes, you know, to the, to the whole. And so I think it's such a a beautiful axis. And I think that the Leo, um, Aquarius axes, oftentimes the reason I was mentioning, you know, how many lovers and, and, and people that are attracted to me, um, have this like challenge, this really deep karmic experience of the fifth house seems to be, you know, obviously there's, there's some part of my own inner process that that reflects, but there's also, it reminds me of like the two laws of seduction. Like you're either seduced and attracted to somebody because they are embodying the expression that you want, that you aren't, that you long for, and you see it inside of the other and you, and you're seduced by that. You long for that, right? There's a desire that is created or an attraction. And then the other piece, you want to be that, right? And it's like, they're embodying the thing that you want to be. And then the other piece would be like, which I would consider the more Aquarian Shivic aspect is because they see something in you and you are able to bloom inside of that. 
Right. And that seduces you, right? Right. Like someone seeing something in you, then particles change by observation. You're able to shapeshift and become that in the light of their witnessing. Right. And then you're, yeah, seduced by that experience. It's true. I had this one guy, I was so into him and he was the most unassuming guy, but I felt so turned on around him. And a big part of it was he made me feel like I was funny. Mm. And when I was with him, I, I felt funny, hilarious and quick and witty and playful. And I love that experience of myself mm-hmm. and it made me love being around him. Exactly. It always makes me think of the Robert Greene, um, you know, in Seduction and Power, he, he says something about, you know, I, I thought when I sat next to so-and-so that he was the most intelligent, like witty man in the room. But when I sat next to the other person, I felt like I was the most intelligent, witty man, like witty person in the room, you know? And like, that's the, um, like that aspect of that Leo Aquarius, Shiva Shakti dance going on. And I feel like that is so much of that Shakti is the Shakti also wants to be in an erotic feedback loop with itself. Get high on its own supply, drunk on its own erotic potency. Totally. That's why I think it's so artistically tantric. So much. And creation in general is such a mystic process. And that's where so much of Leo gets caught up is when it confuses, oh, I'm the one creating and then gets in all of its contractions and head games and identification with its creation versus so much of flow is being creativity is moving through me. God, spirit, essence, scientific, whatever you believe is moving through me, happening through me. Totally. I I oftentimes think of that three-part tantric loop where it's like the artist is singing and connecting to the muse. And it's like, if I'm like, when I'm singing, if I'm thinking about, oh, I'm hoarse, I don't have a voice today, or are these, is this audience going to get it? Is it too trippy for them? And instead I like maintain my connection as to why like that song is actually wanting to come through me. And if I just open myself and allow that to actually rapture me, then there's a higher chance that that audience is actually going to receive that transmission as like I'm actually letting myself being raptured by Mm -hmm. like you said by your own juice but also by like that it's like that vessel of Leo it's so fascinating to me because it's it needs to be egoic in the sense that like only you can create like only I can sing this song about the flower in the way that we're gonna do it like the way that me and this flower are gonna be able to do this but it's not about me and there's something more. Mm -hmm. And so opening up to that, letting it come through, douse the audience. Mm -hmm. And then when the audience receives that transmission, what they offer back, like that reflection is what then feeds that tantric loop of the Leo to then offer it back up again. And that's how it keeps feeding. And so if there's any like kinks inside of any one of those places, then it can, then it can get shut down. Right. The expression isn't as, yeah, tantric or, um, sustainable. Mm -hmm. But then I think that there's like ways where if we're reliant on the audience, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're relying on the feedback loop and I think Aquarians can really get in this or like the, the challenge of the fifth house, if we're relying on that feedback loop to keep expressing like that person raised their eyebrow, they're not. And then we shut down and we Mm -hmm. shut that voice down. We shut the heart down yeah. And then it gets out of body or out of presence and out of like joy. 
Or you wear a mask. You contort to what you think the audience will um, appreciate. One of my favorite metaphors about Leo, I'm happy to throw this in here now. I knew I wanted to get it in somewhere. I think Ari Moshe told me this story. But he says, imagine you're playing a piano and someone walks in the room. And if you either kind of sit up a little bit straighter and start playing the piano better because someone is watching or if you get self-conscious and contract and start playing worse because someone is watching, either in either case, you are letting yourself be so overly influenced by the fact that there's an observer that you've lost that tantric connection. And that's so much of that Leo tightrope is how can you just stay to your, connected to yourself and what you're doing and the joy of it and the experience of it and the momentary happening of it and not get in the whole hornet's nest of possibilities about what it means that someone's watching and what who it means you are and if you're doing it good, et cetera, et cetera. And that to me is so crucial because it's not just like Leah loves being seen. Mm -hmm. It has an entire whole complex universe in its experience of being seen. I think a lot of Fifth House people have like, an intense desire to see themselves. That's one of the things that creating does is it gives a mirror for us to actually see ourselves. And because that process can be fraught in all of these different ways, it's Mm -hmm. not just like see me, you know, necessarily. No, it's like there's a specific and complex process that someone with fifth house stuff will have around being seen. Right. And I actually think that it's like what you were saying, the see me, it's like this arrogant, narcissistic, not humble, egotistical projection often gets projected all over anything regarding Leo. And I think that in so many ways to be truly of service and in your heart and in your presence, in your joyful and giving, like really, truly giving your authentic expression it's the most humbling mm-hmm. humbling place to be I mean it really could be anything in the fifth house it could be like the sun is in the fifth house and it's squared by Saturn or it's it's just in some sort of challenging position yeah. right right and I always relate it to like that little kid that's like oh I want that or oh this 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 natural expression and the mom immediately like wet blanket mm-hmm. wet damp, damp towel on the expression And, like, then that gets internalized. And, like, so many patterns um, ensue from that space of feeling shame around one's own desires, around one's own pleasure, around sharing one's joy. Mm -hmm. The shame and the vulnerability around sharing that becomes so repressed that there's all these different, like, codependent or manipulative patterns that might end up needing to be created so that the the deep desire of the ego to just be able to express itself and experience that um like because that's we're gonna find ways to get those needs met right yeah the need to express the need for pleasure the need to be seen the need for warmth and the need to really be okay with oneself and like truly share that and like when we're unable to really share that because we're afraid of being too much or we're afraid of losing power or being vulnerable or not doing it right or not doing it perfect or anything like that. 
it's it starts to actually instead of the I, I often think like Leo Risings, for instance, instead of like being that golden sun that like walks into the room and everyone wants, it's almost like they get overwhelmed by the pressure of being the sun. Mm. Like they can feel that the world wants them to be that sun. And so then they sometimes cave into that pressure and actually become like these like um, kind of little black holes. <laughs> <laughs> like need to to take right mm-hmm. but it's actually in a way of like being humble like quote-unquote humble if, um if somebody really desires to express then they might often date somebody that is very expressive right just very simply um they might date somebody that is very expressive very charismatic very good at at sharing their feelings at um at taking center stage at performing or something and um that's obviously going to create an attraction and the seduction but there also might be ways in which that starts to um, be the very thing that they try to shut down inside of the person Right, because they're shutting it down inside themselves, so right. they shut it down in the other. Right, so they can like take that internal oppression like from the seduction, then start to actually say hate the fact that that person is doing it and that they're not doing it, get so upset that they feel so enslaved by their own internal oppressor that shops their expression every single time they try to express every single time they try to you know just be wild even in sexuality this shows up I think a lot um like pleasure actually being free how does it show up in sexuality I think that um shaming one's pleasure shutting down like sabotaging ways where um say for instance like shutting down right before orgasm or once orgasm has been made, like shutting down in another way or, or almost like hating oneself, um, being disgusted at one's expression in sexuality. Um, I think that the same thing when it's being like, say for instance, you're going, you're in love with somebody that's really expressive like that. And that's what you fell in love with them for. But then you find yourself being in their shadow or you find yourself still instead of allowing yourself to grow and learn from them um, and allow that dynamic to help you bloom even more into yourself, you still find yourself being enslaved and you still find yourself judging everything you do. And so there's ways that you could then start, you know, pushing back on that person, either shutting them down, trying to control their expression or um, actually just finding ways to um, try to fight to be out of that shadow, right? Yeah, I think that happens all the time. It's like we are attracted to people who have qualities that we want, and yet because we're still so against them in ourselves, it's safe to be the other one. Do you know what I mean? That's already the role. The one who's like, I would say the opposite of this would be someone who's like very poised and has it all together. And so it's safe for us to be the one who's super poised and has it all together. And yet that's like precisely what we're trying to get away from. But then it's everything that we just act out. Right. Yeah. That's 
so much of my experience. <laughs> <laughs> I feel you. Yeah, that's so much of my experience with, um, with the lovers that I've had. Another thing I wanted to drop in here, and I'm sure we'll find a way to connect it back around, but something that I have noticed is I actually feel like strong fifth house stuff tends to indicate people have stuff with their dad. And I know that a lot of time people think that Capricorn is what is associated more with father figure or grandfather. But to me, the Capricorns are kind of like the good little soldiers of society. Like there's something about Capricorn to me, it does have shame and repression and emotional compartmentalization inside of its signature, but it's more flexible than that. It really is about those people who want to live out the dogma of the day. You know, the people who are going to lead the structures, whatever those structures are. We just happen at this moment to have like incredibly patriarchal and narcissistic structures. So that's what a lot of the leadership looks like. But I think if you go back to traditional astrology, it was Cancer being the moon and Leo being the sun that were the initial masculine and feminine archetypes. Mm -hmm. And then it was the Mercury was the two out from that on the circle that was Virgo and Gemini. And then it was the Venus, you know? And so I think if we go back to that, there's just something that I've found experientially where fifth house stuff tends to correlate with people's dads Mm. and there's stuff around father. Mm. And that's definitely been true in my case, Mm. being born with lesbian moms without a dad and just having this constant yearning for masculinity and masculine energy. Mm. And, um, to, Sorry, and just this safe place created for it. Like it's like that Capricorn that you're saying, and the and the dad role would be like this safe container for the Leo to be able to express. And I also think that is like represented with the, the Cancer coming before it. Like if we have like a safe, um, if we feel safe emotionally, and we feel secure, then we can actually express. And then in Capricorn, in Capricorn, it's like can the actual Leo take the responsibility to then give itself the container, take the responsibility to allow the platform to be created so that it can shine, so that it can express itself? Or is it constantly seeking it outside of the other? And like, Mm -hmm. so then therefore anyone has the power to then oppress it. Right. Like that's oftentimes what I think comes up a lot is like you're, you're shutting my needs down. You're shutting my expression down. It's like they get into that like victim role, mm-hmm. feeling that somebody else is taking their their ability to be in pleasure or ability to be themselves, because that wound of of I think the father, you know, the of the external authority, um, holding that safe space. Yeah, and to me, that's also part of the inconjunct between Capricorn and Leo, right? They're like not quite opposing each other. Right. And that's such a unique aspect. But by the time you get to Capricorn, you're already dealing in the social world. You're already dealing in the public sphere. You're already dealing with a more adult and mature phase of development. To me, when you're in that Leo, you're right. It's the fifth house. You've developed your, I am here. Your this is my body. This is my mind and my nervous system. This is my emotional body. You are primed in that like absolute pure, innocent childlike place of just expressing. And children are so erotic they are you know they're like they are um always like touching and singing and performing and creating and destroying all the time they're like these little feedback loops of erotic energy happening 
continuously. And that to me is one of the places where we get kind of that core hardwiring programming of our witnessing. And there's so much, especially having been at this phase of just so many generations of patriarchal society being run that way. There's so, it's only been a few generations where people didn't just do exactly what their fathers did, where it wasn't just like, your dad's a baker, you're going to be a baker. Your dad's the preacher, you're going to be the preacher, or like, you're going to marry a preacher just like your dad. You know, for so long, it's been really critical. Our ability to develop has been determined by whatever family context, socioeconomic position, cultural context we were born into. And then that's Mm. that narcissistic wound of the parent, Mm. which I think is also really new for so long, having being someone's child. And it still means this in certain classes and culture, being someone's child means you are indebted to them for your life. You are supposed to marry who they want to marry, be who they want you to be. And that was just kind of the agreement between parent and child for so long. And now I think we have more self-awareness. What being an individual and an individual human being means is something very different. But that's still relatively recent. And Mm. there's so... So I think it's part of that narcissistic wound. You know, Leo is also royalty. And just think about the absolute responsibility that it is to be a royal figure. You sacrifice your interiority you sacrifice your freedom think about the stars like the actual celebrities are these like living sacrifices where we place all of our Mm -hmm. untapped desires and projections in order upon yeah and they sacrifice that in order to be a public figure and to hold something for the collective you know, and then we get to have all kinds of feelings about them and drag them through the mud or lift them up, or they get to be, you know, the ones who keep us company in our best moments, but they don't have that interiority and heavy is the head that wears the crown and just the pressure of having to perform who people want you to be. Like they always do this thing with musicians where they say, um, people always want musicians to be their first album. People don't like it when musicians change. There's huge backlashes when people start making different kinds of music. And actually, they're developing as an artist. They're going through their natural process of maturation. We're like, no, we want what you were from the beginning. We want to get the same. 15 years old, we want that part of you because it touched this part of me and you can't change. And that's like exactly what you're saying, the narcissistic dynamic. That makes people lose themselves. And it's in that relationship, I think, of the father. And the other thing that is just in the soup of this to me is that they did this study where fathers would stop touching their children, right? They would, first of all, people stop touching boys very young. Bell Hooks wrote about this, where she's like, we need to keep touching our boys. Like, normally when boys are seven, their parents will stop hugging them, you know? Wow. Because I think, um, Maybe it is because children are so erotic. Maybe it is because there is a stigma. Maybe it's because you don't want to coddle boys especially. But I think also they did a study where fathers will stop touching boys even earlier and fathers will definitely stop touching girls even earlier because of all the like weird things about it being associated. So I think there's all of this sort of like weirdness 
influencing how a parent and specifically a father is really able to hold their child in the natural exploration and expression of their pleasure that then gets hardened into some of those strange contortions around shame and is it okay for me to you know, touch myself and shine bright and enjoy the experience of my body and being alive and doing whatever I'm doing. Right. And it reminds me of what we were saying about the children being these like feedback loops that are constantly like intaking from the environment and then expressing it, you know, joyfully expressing it, giving it this feedback of like how that kid is actually being touched, mm-hmm. how they're being inspired in the moment. And like when it starts to like we were saying, we're going to get our needs met. And so when we start to shame or suppress or just like harden around actually being able to touch and, and, and be in that tantric loop of expression because of all these fears around, um, yeah, appropriateness and, and, and whatnot. Um, it means that that's where the, the part of the development, like they start to learn what they can do that will attract um, that attention. Mm -hmm. You know, start to contort one's expression in order to gain the kind of energy that they want. And I think that's what is so fascinating about the Aquarius-Leo axis is because the Aquarius part is that, like, observational piece. And then I think the Leo is, like, how that that, that being gets to, like, engage and express based on that feedback loop and I think it's so important to be able to (laughs) decolonize and make sure that we haven't like had our expression had our pleasure had our pure authentic nature hijacked by these ways in which we're actually then just performing and masking you know and I actually think you know, children, they have their side of them that's like joyful and innocent. I do believe at some point we were all joyful and innocent, little bundles of energy, but children are also incredibly manipulative. They learn this stuff so fucking early. You know, I was with my friend and their toddler and their toddler is like super addicted to sugar. And he knows that he comes over and he sits on your left and gives you a little smile and he gives you a little kiss. And then he asks really nicely, if you want to give him a cookie, he's three, he's three. You know, like they learn so early what it is like, oh, if I smile like this and I hold my body like this, then I can get what I want out of this Mm. situation. People like it when I do this. And so, or even like what, you know, just any of the like cocked eyebrows or something like when I was little and this is like Leo in the 12th house, right? I was like little and in church with eyes rolled in the back of my head, hands are up and I'm just like singing at the top of my lungs. My I love that I that was, was like, your childhood. <laughs> yeah. And my mom said I was like two years old or something, you know, and, and I'm just like singing in this other language. I can't even speak hardly any English, you know? And, and my aunt was just like, she's just copying everyone. And my mom said that I opened one of my eyes and I stopped. And she said, for years, I stopped. Wow. Like, it was that impressionable to me. And she's like, you were so young that I don't even think anyone would have known that you would have even understood what they were doing. But because she said that, like, it wasn't real, I was just like, boom. What do you think made you stop? Out of the accusation that you were fake, out of you, that you were just copying people. 
Um, I think that Leo in the 12th house, like for me, mm-hmm. my Leo expression is all about the trance. It's all about the worship. Yeah. And so there's something about, I don't know, I'm like really a baby. I don't even remember it really. But um, but just knowing what you know about fifth house dynamics, what just, do you think happened in that moment? I think it stopped me from being in the trance. Like what you're saying about that piano player. Yeah. It like was if the you're witnessing eye. Tr- it was the witnessing eye and the invalidation. Mm-hmm. Like that invalidation was like your connection isn't real. Yeah. You're just copying. And to me, that would be like you're just performing. You're just doing this, like, singing thing. And for me, like, I'm only doing it actually to worship. And I'm still very much like that. And mm-hmm. I think that I was really like that when I was little, too. Like, I only sang to worship when I was little. And um, and I think that my mom worked really hard to allow me to feel really safe around her always. And so I really... I wasn't, like, totally shut down, which I think that a lot of other people um, that have had really strong Leo, like what, you know, what we're speaking about, I think that they do allow like that to end up like shutting down their full expression. But I do think that, um, that that was mitigated in a big way for me. And it's so wild because before when you were describing about this holy trinity of being in a tantric circle with the divine and expressing and creating, and it's like, that's precisely what was invalidated by what your aunt said it was precisely that she was like oh that's not really what you're doing you're just going through the motions right she was like actually degrading the very like core piece that would even allow me to enter into that is like I'm pretty sure that's what you're saying Mm -hmm. but um but I think that's so fascinating because the way that I feel like I'm always teaching Leo Mm -hmm. is like there's something about my life since then that is like worked really hard to like protect that mm-hmm. to protect that connection protect that trance like so anytime I'm singing I like make sure that that cord of connection is really solid no matter what is going on like if I'm singing around a bunch of drunk people or what, whatever it is like they could like completely make like I will like protect that cord at all cost mm-hmm. knowing that like none of it matters and I really have found that with the fifth house you know, this is might be because I have Scorpio in the fifth house. And so to me, there's something where it's like, whatever it is that's there is something that we will, it's also a fire sign, right? It is what we will fight for. And it's the fixed fire. Like I know Vesta is kind of Mm. like that sacred flame that you hold. But for me, I found whatever's in your fifth Mm. house, you also, there's a sacred hearth there that is what matters to you most. All of the fights that I find myself getting in where I'm actually like sometimes at the brink of tears or just find myself kind of like like desperately fighting with people about have to do with things that have touched my fifth house mm. about just what you're saying where it's like no pleasure is something deep about us right, or right. no our sexuality is a core part of who we are it is you know I mean that's even so much of what this podcast because they're is trying about. to degrade when they touch the fifth house it's like they're trying to degrade something that is core to like what you express like who you actually authentically are mm-hmm. and how that comes out it's like the sacred seeds. Like yes. that's what Kat and I, like Kat was going through her Saturn return in the fifth house. Like the whole time we were together almost right. a big part of our relationship yeah, was ex. that. Mm-hmm. And 
that's what we came to is like take responsibility to like tend and water those sacred seeds, mm-hmm. you know, and like tr- know that like when there's these, you know, Saturn or Pluto figures, we will find the external oppressor inside of anyone. Mm-hmm. And we will experience it as an external oppressor, which right. I fully agree with you is because we're not fully taking responsibility right. for our own experience. Right. And because there's been a fucking war, <laughs> like yeah. straight out war on pleasure, mm-hmm. a war on desire and on creativity and on personhood. Right. And if you can take away like individual creativity and that deep connection to the divine, to the muses, to the to the part of us that's really in that feedback loop, like that is a part of the of the individual mm-hmm. that can then be owned. Right. Like if we get hijacked in this place, it is it's huge. You know, like liberating our sexuality, liberating our creativity to me is like, that's the work. Mm -hmm. And I would say because children, I think, are, you know, wired to be in a process of egoic development. um, I actually think whatever it is that has happened to you when you were young, I know some people have had horrendous things happen in terms of their pleasure and their expression when they were young, but I do feel that whatever happened to you there, it creates the traction for what is those sacred seeds now. And that you're actually so much more better equipped as an adult to connect to your innocence and your truth with lucid awareness and the ability to take responsibility now than you ever were as a child. And deeply connected. I feel like this is what you're saying, but I just want to add to it. Go for it. If you are, like, I'm always trying to teach women because they're like, if you express and you just open in this, aren't we just going to attract all this, you know, aggressive, masculine, rage, rapey vibe, like people trying to take it, which I definitely think that there are ways in which, like, more energy comes our way, right? When we are liberated inside of this expressive, sexual, pleasurable, artistic energy, people will want to feed, like, moths of flame. However, I think that shutting it down, what I notice inside of myself is I don't shut this part of me down. Like, I am, like, deeply in protection of this, and I feel like I am more able to navigate any of that energy because I don't allow that fire to get shut down. I don't allow my heart, my joy, my authentic expression, and therefore my connection to not only my like core dantian and the heart, like where the dantian, the fire of the belly comes into the heart. That to me is such a powerful part of this fifth house, Mm -hmm. you know, that fire of the heart. And like when we don't allow that to get shut down, Mm -hmm. Like, we can channel so much energy. We can stay empowered. And that's, to me, where the medicine of that fifth house comes back, that it is from the inside out. Because, like, all of the little things about looking in the mirror, do I look good when I do this, looking in the mirror of the audience and other people's responses to you, all of those things, to me, are what collapse the fifth house potential. And all of what you're talking about, about being in touch with your own energy, your own joy, your own creative connection from the inside out, that's like such deep medicine, such deep fifth house medicine. 
And it's so interesting what you were saying about the the father, like that dynamic, because specifically when I remember my childhood, like my childhood was so chaotic and abusive. And the very, the only thing I remember that really, really, really got me through was being able to go into that trance and sing. My mom said that they would be fighting, you know, mm-hmm. really intensely. And I would be like moving through them, like raising my hands and singing at the top of my lungs. Like, mm-hmm. and I remember doing that my entire life, you know, you still do that. I still do that. <laughs> but yeah, I go into a grocery store and because I don't want to have an existential crisis of the state of the planet, I put my headphones on and I sing the whole way and I get through it. But, but I just think that there's something about that, that is so innocent mm-hmm. and like, I never thought of myself as naive or innocent until recently about just the way that I love, you know? And mm-hmm. I think that there's something that's so magical about really holding on to that piece when I was little, um, no matter what, like, adversity came. And that's something that, like, also my my parents did really help foster my creativity and give me a lot of permission around um, in that area. Um, so I think it's not just, like, my own internal... Um, strength. I do think that there's like a lot of support. There was support. Right? There was support around. Like even my family would be like, "Oh, well, no artist can make it, but you can. Mm-hmm. Like you're that good. Like you can be an artist. Nobody like." And I was like, "Oh, I'm an artist, and this was my antidote to being ADHD. Like I'm not going to do this, this, and this because I'm an artist." Mm-hmm. And it had a lot to do with my, you know, neurodiversity. But that's what actually made me take responsibility and create a different path where I feel like so many other neurodiverse people experience trying to get, you know, fit into this mold and trying to shut themselves down and contort themselves to where they don't end up taking that initiative and that authority to actually reroute and create like another pathway and really protect that magic. And I feel like that is such a big beautiful like journey mm-hmm. for Leo and the fifth house. Yeah. And I do think you learned how to turn your sun up really bright to like get you through hard situations. And I think getting to be part of an ecstatic worship tradition from when you were really young right. is like absolutely about opening all of your energy channels and having that be encouraged and all the talking in tongues and singing and all of that is like learning how to move energy through those channels. Right. Which, you know, as someone who grew up in, like, a very secular situation, like, that, there was no even conception of that. Right. But I know we need to close. Any last thoughts? Yeah, it's just, it's just really touching me right now about thinking of that, that, piece of taking the responsibility and and protecting the magic of this part of the expression and just realizing too like how much turning that connection up has has protected me and then also how much that has also created um certain people with patterns that will oppress this or will be then it's kind of like when we do the what we do with the the singers and the celebrities is like we put them on the pedestal and in order to try to find our own power we tear them down Mm -hmm. right and I do think that there's something around um that light and that power and that connection those 
in a society that don't have that, that have been suppressed by that, that um, are jealous of that, might try to tear that down and just finding a way where that's not being hijacked by further performing or contorting or masking, but because that will enter into the codependence of Leo. I don't know if I'm drawing the connection, but I feel like there's a place where I like really expanded my Leo expression in order to protect myself from these volatile situations. But there's also a way in which I performed in order to be that light for others in the place that they've been suppressed. And that's also been the place where I've entered into more codependent patterns that have allowed me to be disillusioned um, and taken down, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and put yourself in a position where because you're holding that light for others, the flip side of that is that they're going to want to tear you down. Yeah. I think that's a real danger. Get addicted to that light. Get addicted to that performance or that role or that sunshine that I want to, like, shine on them, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And instead of it being something that's like, oh, I'm shining the sunshine and I'm encouraging them to bloom, it's like, oh, no, 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 I want, I want that because I need that in order to bloom. You know, even the emotional labor that, that could then, you know, if they get shut down, it's like then I'll go into this role of trying to help them open to bloom. And it's like they almost get addicted to that pattern too. Mm-hmm. And I just think that there's... I guess what I'm wanting to say is is be mindful of those parts of us that are attracted to something that we might be shut down in and make sure we're like sourcing that source from it within and allowing that to like invite us into our own expression of that, right? Our own embodiment of that. I think my final thought that I flashed to was my middle school because my middle school is like really inner city, super hood, very violent. Like people are definitely having anal sex and getting pregnant and in gangs. And we had this talent show that was a lot of like preteens booty dancing and (laughs) things like that. And it was totally that environment that you were talking about where I, it didn't, it felt both like you were supposed to really bloom and shine and like show off who you were and what you had and also doing so attracted a lot of scary attention Mm. and it just made me realize that it's almost like we're all living inside of a toxic family system like we're all children in a toxic family system competing for the attention Mm. and a lot of what you do when you walk into any room is people do have this shadow side of them that will rank according to social sexual hierarchy. Mm. And I think that makes it really scary to be ranked high in that system. And it's really painful to be ranked low. Right. And um, I just think the fact that we are living in such a competitive environment when it comes to this really needs to be emphasized because um, I wish we were, you know, all beautiful flowers in the Garden of Eden, safe and protected. But the we fact is that we're... in and not take away from the sun of the other. <laughs> Which is what people say is healthy Leo, right? Like yeah. you realize you're special and you feel confident enough in your specialness that you actually have enough generosity to celebrate the specialness of all the other beautiful Leos out there, you know, everyone else's little Leo heart gets to shine and we're all exponentially stronger for it, which I do think, you know, now that I'm not in middle school and I'm older and I'm more mature and, you know, um, we get to have healthy, supportive friendships and relationships with each other is also true. 
but it's sort of being built on this level and this layer of coming from this sexual socialization process that was, um, in my experience, and I know a lot of other people's experience, really about uh, scarcity mm-hmm. and someone else being the prettiest you know, right. or the coolest or the funniest or the loudest did mean that you didn't get to have that. Right. And I think inside of every hurt victim of this system is their like fanged toothed competitor. Absolutely. You know, it was like the person who did want to be the one on top. And I think it makes me think of the narcissistic golden child and scapegoat. Yeah. It's like being the golden child in that dynamic can get really painful and overwhelming and exhausting, but being the scapegoat in that dynamic is excruciating. Mm -hmm. And just that we all have these different dynamics inside of us. And I think whenever we're relating to someone else in their shining, in their gloriousness, in their um, erotic, pleasurable creature that comes poking out through all of the different personas and social conventions that we live in, there is that opportunity to say, hey, Leo, hey, Fifth House, I see you. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to support you. Yeah. And not collapse and not buy into some stupid fucking scarcity doggy dog world. Yeah. But, um, but play and believe in you. But play. And speaking of play, game that I actually really love and I learned on the Leo Full Moon one year um, is that I started to realize how easy it is for me to be the Shakti and to start like musing about singing. And I was like, yeah, singing and, and talking all about astrology and everything. And then I would jump into the Aquarian role real quick and like throw the fire to somebody else yeah, and then share. watch them bloom mm-hmm. and then jump into the Leo thing, fluff that a little bit, inspire, and then, and then throw that back. And so I kind of like to like think of that as a game because mm-hmm. that's something. Um, I feel like you're incredible at. Thank you. Well, I definitely think it's all much more fun when we play with each other. So have so much fun playing out there, y'all. And we will see you next week. Bye.